This morning, we're going to look at this uh, theme of this idea of Pentecost today to remember. I've already told you, and I'll I'll try to chart this out a little bit later on a chart here, that uh, in my judgment, uh, as I look at the New Testament, as I look at the work of God throughout history, uh, I would suggest to you that this is the day in which the completion of God's plan takes place. This is the day. That's how important it is. And we celebrate it on a couple of levels. Thank you to Beth and Bill Thomas for getting the cake and Mary Jane and others. Some celebrate... Yeah, let's... They're always so helpful. Uh, Some celebrate this day as what we call the birthday of the church, where these uh, disparate, not desperate, well, some of them are desperate, disparate uh, followers of Jesus get pulled together and begin this community now that begins to go all around the world and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so some call it the birthday of the church, and that's, uh, I think that's accurate. Uh, others uh, understand it to be, if you will, this day in which we celebrate is the giving of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit's been in the Old Testament. He has been uh, in people's lives where he comes and goes, and there is some sense in which he is not abiding But in Jesus' own words, he tells, as we've looked through John 14, that there's going to be this one, this comforter who comes, who will remain and stay, which will be distinct. And so it's a day, in my judgment, to remember. You know, we all all have special days we remember, don't we? Uh, Days that uh, help us to recall things. I've got like on July the 13th every year. Uh, It was on Friday the 13th, actually. On July the 13th, 1984, uh, every July I celebrate the fact that I got hired by United Parcel Service when I went to seminary. 5,000 applications in front of me before I ever got there, and somehow God miraculously worked it out where I got that job. On August the 17th, I married Becky. I do remember that day. And, you know, she does too. It was called the Day of Infamy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's a day that goes down. Uh, On October 23rd, every year uh, in in 2003, God did an incredible thing for me personally in my own life. An area I was struggling in did something on October 23rd uh, every every year. In fact, it's so important to me. Every month on the 23rd, I have an alarm on my phone, on my calendar, that reminds me of something God did for me in Olathe, Kansas on October 23rd, 2003. Uh, on January the 4th, I have this, uh, Texas won the national championship. Uh, <laughs> do y'all remember that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 January 14 uh, comes up on my calendar. It was uh, the first day that I ever taught at Mid-America. Uh, I remember it was on a Tuesday, and I went in and did my lecture and came back and sat down in my chair at my desk, and I thought... That is the stupidest stuff I've ever heard in my life. Call your church. You just left Sunday. They don't have a pastor yet. I'm not kidding you. See if they'll take you back. And uh, they wouldn't have. But uh, 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 certain days, certain special days that that we ought to remember. I, I don't know if you get online like I do, but... Uh, every once in a while, but you know, there's a, a deal where you can go Google. Do you know what today is besides Pentecost? May the 15th, besides that, not payday, no. Uh, it's, it is actually, you know, every day has got, it's National Hug Your Cat Day. Brother, who had to come up with that? <clears throat> How bizarre is that? But there are days that are special. And days that we remember fondly, there can be some days that we remember where they haven't been that good, but we remember them for God's faithfulness. I have on my calendar, remember every year, June the 30th, that was Becky's first chemo treatment in 2000. That day comes up, I remember it, and it reminds me of God's faithfulness. It reminds me of his care for us. And so important days. So today, I want to suggest to you, it's one of those days we will, a day to remember. And you saw the little video. And I want to I just kind of walk us through this. I, I told Becky this is a two-week lesson, so relax uh, on D. We won't probably get there. Uh, that's, I'll give you the, the idea here. But the first one is this. A day to remember. A, remember a promise kept. Remember a promise kept. In that little video, uh, you, you heard uh, the author uh, uh, refer to, and if you will, if you want to turn to Joel, it's in the Old Testament. Go to your table of contents. That's the way to find it. All those books are there in the front of your Bible. It's in the Old Testament toward the end. It's on page 861 in my Bible. And uh, we, we always want to uh, be able to, to find that in Joel uh, 
uh, chapter 2, if you will, in Joel chapter 2, this uh, great promise in the Old Testament. Um, And it will come about in those days that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, I want to call your attention to a couple of things. I've got several verses here for you. You can go look at those. And all of those refer to the promise, if you will, in the Old Testament, where the promise of giving the Holy Spirit is. I said this a couple of weeks ago when we're in John 14 and 15, and I, I want to remind you that this promise about the Spirit, and I think he's true. John N., uh, letter N. Oswalt, uh, was one of my professors in my doctoral work, and uh, as a professor, one of, the, of a, a, a fairly world-leading Isaiah scholar. Uh, Dr. Oswalt was part of the NIV study Bible. I heard of it somewhere, but uh, not read it, but the NIV. Um, but uh, he's part of that, and he, and he said this, the promise of the Spirit in the Old Testament occurs more often, <clears throat> more often than the promise of Jesus' sacrificial death. The promise of the Spirit occurs more often in the Old Testament than, it, than, than the, the passages about the sacrificial death of Jesus. And we kind of got this turned around, I think, because we think all the Old Testament speaks about is that, but the, but, the, but the Old Testament's promise and declaration specifically now, Oswald says, besides Isaiah, 30, uh, Isaiah 53, if you take Isaiah 53, it's right there, that, that big passage, there are more occurrences of the promise of the Spirit than there are of the sacrificial death of Jesus. That's kind of a shock to me when I read that. I, I just sort of assumed some things, but this, uh, as I've re- re- uh, looked at it and researched it, I want to suggest it. So I want to look at this here, a promise kept. Now on your outline, I've got this thing. Number one, it's a generous promise. Notice in Joel there where we are when he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. The Hebrew term here in pour out has the idea of lavish, of the idea, if you will, of generosity, not some small kind of doling it out, uh, you know, of, uh, of giving out here a little bit and there. In fact, uh, 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 John the Baptist, if you want to go look at this later in John chapter 2, when he speaks of Jesus and Jesus' work of giving the Spirit, he gives the Spirit without measure. You can go look at that. John chapter he gives the Spirit without measure. God is not stingy or holding back. He uses a word here that suggests that I will pour out this spirit in lavish and generous ways. Now notice also, I'm going to pour it out. This is this generosity on all mankind. Now this is unusual in the ancient world because in Jewish thought and understanding, the spirit was reserved for only those who were part of the covenant. The Gentiles had in fact in their teaching, uh, there's nothing in the Bible that backs this up, but the Gentiles had been offered God's law and God's offering of of a nation and they rejected it. And so God hated the Gentiles in their thought. And so the spirit was only for those who were covenant people. But notice what he says on all mankind there in in verse 28 the, the word is actually flesh on all flesh notice how generous on your sons and ladies what does it say there your daughter this is unusual in the ancient world this notion of women having some equality if you will in this understanding the rabbis taught in in one sense that God's presence or Holy Spirit only dwelt on those who were wise and rich and men, <laughs> that this notion of the Spirit, when he says it's generous on your sons and your daughters, on old men and on young men, on the male and the female servants. Isn't it an interesting here that this promise that Jesus keeps and the Father keeps is a generous promise? I think for some of us, we, we think we might be excluded because God is a little stingy and a little touchy about things. But the promise here is a promise kept, is that this spirit will be for all flesh, all mankind. And I think we ought to consider at least at this, it's a generous 
promise. Have you noticed that before? Notice these matters. It's on all mankind. It's sons and daughters, not just one. It's old and young. It's male and female. So the promise of the Spirit that we experience or the promise of the, the, the presence of the Spirit on Pentecost is a promise kept. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And we see this in the book of Acts as you saw the little video on all these matters. The second thing here is it's a specific promise kept. A specific promise kept. There are several passages here I want to look at that this promise that uh, the gospel or the Old, Old Testament gives us about the Spirit is that it becomes this, it's a specific promise. Now, let, let's, let's try to manage these together. The idea of a generous promise means to everyone. The idea that, that the Spirit is for everyone. It's not just for a particular group. But it is also, if you will, a specific promise. So I'm going to ask you now to hold, you can put a mark there somewhere, but go to your New Testament here for a second. We're going to start in John. John. The Gospel of John. Y'all heard of that before? <laughs> Been there a few weeks, a couple of weeks. The Gospel of John. This, this promise kept, it's a specific promise. Notice here in uh, John chapter 7. Did I give you the chapter? Oh, okay. I just thought you could read my mind. <laughs> which would be a short read, by the way. <laughs> Very quick. Yeah, which mind? <laughs> yeah. John chapter 7. I'm going to begin reading this passage when it says... Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, this is the feast here that Jesus celebrates of the giving of water, John 7, 37. John 7, did I, did I give you the verse? Wow. <clears throat> Let me just take a drink here for a second and slow down. And I haven't had any cake either yet. Sorry to add a donut and a cinnamon roll, but uh, yeah, I'm pre-diabetic right now. Let's try that again. John 7, 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now let's look at this here for a second and this specific promise. I want to suggest to you that the specific promise here of the Spirit that has been generously given is for those who believe in Jesus. Look at that there. This he spoke of the Spirit for those who, would be, who believed in him. This is not for some uh, uh, magical group or this uh, matter of the Spirit is not for some uh, special social climbing group. The Spirit here, this generous offer is given to all those who believe in Jesus. That's, that's the stipulation there. That's a, watch this, if you will. Go over to Acts. I got a lot of, lot of territory we're going to cover here today. And um, notice here over in chapter 17. That's not it. Here we go. Uh, in chapter 19, I just wanted you to stop there in 17 for a second and take a look. It's a great chapter. It's a great chapter. Now, in chapter 19, it says, It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. Now, that Greek word there, mathetes, is a pretty general term. There are a lot of disciples of a lot of people uh, he's concerned. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, now must, something must have been here for Paul to say, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Notice here. No, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, well, who baptized you? And they said, into John's baptism. In other words, these are followers of John, which seems dramatic here. These are followers or people who were baptized into John's baptism that was a baptism of repentance for sin. It was Paul's assumption that when you believed, what happened? You received the Holy Spirit. There is this notion that, if, so he says, if you didn't, something must be wrong here, right? 
What happened? He said, so who were you? He said, into John. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who is coming after him. When they heard this, then they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here's the problem. They've not been baptized into the name of Jesus. They've been baptized in the name of John. They believe he's the forerunner. They believe he's the one talking about the one to come. But there's a problem here. Because in my judgment here, the assumption is that if you believe, you receive what? Holy Spirit. Okay? So this is a generous promise that is made specifically. This isn't something you have to beg for, ask for, or clam around or clamor about. This is an understanding that this gift, this person, this one, if you will, is given to those who believe. And it's so obvious to Paul that there must be something wrong here if you didn't receive the Holy Spirit when you believed. So that's the first thing. Now, in John, now let's go to Acts. We are in Acts. <clears throat> it's been a rough week. <clears throat> I've had to get my grades in. I got students crying and, oh man, training. All kind. I, need, I need counseling this week. Yeah. <clears throat> I just tell them you to show this kind of interest in February, we wouldn't be talking. So... <laughs> In Acts chapter 5, in Acts chapter 5, here's a specific promise about the Spirit. It's it's, It's a promise kept, but it's a generous and it's specific. Look here in Acts 5. This is, uh, we're going to start reading um, uh, at 529. This is when the apostles have been drug in and and, uh, kicked around for preaching in Jesus. Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on the cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand at the prince of of the Savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to whom? To those who obey him. Yeah, the specific promise. It's not only to those who believe but to those who obey. Now, this is interesting, and I, I don't want <clears throat> go, to go off on this very far, but I just want to suggest to you <clears throat> that the New Testament knows nothing, nothing of the division between faith and obedience. It doesn't know anything about that. It doesn't understand that at all. The idea of faith that causes obedience, or faith, more likely, James says, that causes what? Works. The Bible doesn't understand anything about that bifurcation or that division. There's no understanding of it there. It's always the understanding that my faith, my trust in Jesus, my confidence in him causes me then to obey him, to do what he says. And so this promise, if you will, being specific is to those who obey him. Now, I know I've got some type A perfectionists in here like me. I remember uh, one time uh, we were talking about this idea and I had a student that, you know, they're struggling and they're trying to work through this stuff. And I understand that. That's why I have a job. And, uh, you know, if they already knew it, it'd be bad. Um, and my job is to confuse them a little bit if they think they know it. So, what? Um, a student was saying to me one time, we were talking about this matter of obedience, of faith and obedience. And I think, I just want to say to some of our, my perfectionist friends and buddies, that one of the things that happens is, that we sometimes only think of obedience in terms of success. Like I, I you know, resisted the temptation or I, you know, I did the right thing there. But you know, uh, as I've gotten a little older and hopefully a little wiser, a student got after me one time when I said uh, you know, that sometimes when people sin or fail or, or disobey, uh, you know, God, God still loves them and he's still with them. And he really wanted to argue with me about it. And I finally just said to him, I said, let me ask you something. If, um, if I sin or fail and the Spirit of God corrects me of that and then I confess it and deal with it, isn't that obedience? Aren't I doing what Jesus said to do? Yeah. Well, that's obedience. You see, you can even obey Him after you failed. Don't, don't let this thing get a hold of you as a perfectionist to say, well, you know, God's holding out on me because I've not obeyed Him or I've failed. Listen, at the point of failure, obey Him. 
at the point of failure, say, you know what? I'm going to do what the Bible says here. I'm going to do what Jesus said. He said, if you'll come to me when you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. If you'll confess, I'll forgive you. If you ask me to forgive you, I will. So the idea of obedience isn't only on the level of success, I want to suggest to you. It's not just when you succeed. I'm glad for that. I think there's plenty of, of power for that. And, and uh, God has given us all that we need for that. But some of us, I'm one of those kind of perfectionistic uh, person that when I fail, then all I think about is my disobedience. Let me say it again. At that point, obey. Okay? At the point of your failure, determine that you're going to do what Jesus said about how to fix this. So the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey. Third thing. Here we go. It's a specific promise. So those who believe to those who obey. Now go to Luke we're in Acts. Uh, Luke wrote Acts, and so we can go back to the left. Uh, same same author in Acts chapter. I'm sorry, Luke chapter eleven. Luke chapter eleven. Luke chapter eleven. In Luke eleven, easy way to remember this. Eleven, eleven. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake. Instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he'll not give him a scorpion, will him? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, uh, this, this is a specific promise, I would say, to people who sense their need. To people who sense their need. Uh, th th this idea of giving the Holy Spirit to them that ask. I, and I know this seems a little conflicted here that we receive the Holy Spirit when we believe. But in our day-to-day -day life, isn't it true that we tend to at times get full of ourselves and get competent in our own thinking and we don't really think too often about, you know what? I need God's power and Holy Spirit today. I need God's power and Spirit. I, I, I know I've talked to people over the years, and, and, and it's fascinating to me. They're the, the people that, that recognize their need daily for the power of the Spirit. Not because they're, you know, robbing banks or, or you know, not doing crazy wild stuff, but because they know in the midst of life there's power and strength that they need on a day-to-day -day basis. I, I've said this to my students. Nothing will convince you of your need for the power of the Holy Spirit better than real ministry to real people with real problems. You'll find the end and the limits of your ability. They come real fast. When you get involved with real people, with real problems, in real ministry to others, you're going to discover that your resources, I've discovered my resources, are nothing. They're not going to make anything happen unless I'm aware of my need for the Spirit. So he says to give the Holy Spirit to them that ask. Now, we'll, we'll pick this up next week, but I just go refer this, and it's in Ephesians 5.18, where this phrase is, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's what we call a, durative, a, a, a present durative verb that means continually, constantly. Not once, not twice, Constantly. Be. Being. Filled. When that happens, it's whenever we come to that point of understanding that I'm not adequate in my own ability. I, it's beyond my strength and ability to handle the situation or be involved in the ministry. But this matter, if you will, of the Holy Spirit being for those who sense their need. I, I love what A.W. Tozer said in reference to this idea. He said, uh, the person who is most concerned to not go to hell more than likely won't. <laughs> it's interesting. The person who's most concerned about, about that they would go to hell probably won't. Why? Because they, they know their need of God. Right? I, I meet people all the time. It's fascinating to me. I, I, I can't figure it all out. I've got family members, and I'm not just talking about Becky's family just for clarification. Uh, I'm talking about my family on the Sanders side where there are some crazy people. You know? Um, 
it's been interesting to me as just a pastor over the years and then a teacher that some people who seem to have no good reason because of the fruit of their life have confidence beyond belief about their standing with God and don't really have a good reason to. I've got some family members like that. Uh, there's nothing in their life that you could say seems to be the fruit of God's presence, and yet they have incredible confidence in their standing. And then I've watched others, this is this idea of need, I, I've watched others who are acutely aware of their need for God's presence and yet seem to have little confidence. Isn't that weird? They, 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 their life is is demonstrably obvious that they're a follower of Jesus. Demonstrably certain that their life is bearing fruit and their desire to follow Jesus, and yet they lack confidence. It's been the most confusing thing to me in my entire life to see people who should have no confidence at all have all the confidence in the world. And people that should have confidence because they seem to have, lack it by all kinds of ways. I'll tell you what, you, you know, this is Cliff, thoughts and opinions as a teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions across community church, elder and leadership. I'd rather be one of those people that lives with a constant sense of my need for God. That I am not adequate. I am not adequate. I would rather be over there than have some arrogance that just thought, I just must be a real big catch for God. <laughs> you know? I've said this before and I'll end with this statement. <clears throat> But, but, it, but it seems interesting when it says that he'll give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Who ask. God, fill me with your spirit. God, 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 give me the power of your spirit today. It's this, and I gave you this quote a long time ago, but I still think it fits. Because it's your inadequacy that creates your capacity for God to work in your life. It's your inadequacy that creates the capacity for God to work in your life. That, that's why the language, and we'll come back to this next week, that's why the language of filled is used with the Spirit. Because when I'm filled with me, when I'm filled with my education, or I'm filled with my experience, or I'm filled with my knowledge, or I'm filled with my history, or I'm filled with my background, I have little to no capacity for God. Because where's my trust? in me. But in my inadequacy, I am able by God's grace to have more capacity for God to work in my life. We, we, we fight against that because we think if we could just get better and, and more powerful and more able that we'd have more of the Spirit. I'm suggesting to you, it's more of understanding our brokenness. It's more understanding of our need. It's more understanding of our inadequacy that blows that thing open for God now to say, now I can really start working. Because you know your need. I've told you my own life. When I was in seminary, I finally just gave up one day. I just said, I just think there, I, there's nobody in here but me. And I literally heard this in my spirit. Whew, it's about time. <laughs> right? Because I'm disciplined and I'll stay after it. And I'm not quitting. And just tell me I can't do it and I'll show you. Right? I was a delight to be around. <laughs> as, a, as a new Christian. Yeah. To those who ask, have you asked lately? I mean, I know it's because we believe we have the Spirit. This, this is where it comes to the conscious level. It's where it's, it, the Holy Spirit's given to those who obey Him. Have you had a conscious thought in the last six days? You know what? I, 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 I need the Holy Spirit here. I need His power, His strength. Do you live like that? Do you, do you live with a consciousness of it at times? I don't. <laughs> you know, there, there, there are days when I just blow through the day. That's why on my calendar every morning, every morning, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm regimented on my calendar every day. It's to be filled with the Holy Spirit for today. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. Today. Every day on my calendar. Every morning I read it and say that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit Today. Do, you, do you live with a sense of need? Do you live with a sense of God has something here for me that 
would be available for my life to empower me. This is the promise that's been kept. Does that make sense? It's a day to remember a necessary priority. These all start with P's. I, I battle. I don't, I'm not trying to be funny or to be cute or, or you know, like just, they just, it helps me remember them. You know, Jesus spent 40 days, uh, and you turn to Acts 1, 4, uh, Jesus spent 40 days with these uh, people who had seen him be raised from the dead. And I've said this before, but I just again remind you that Jesus on this last 40 days, he's with them. He's with them 40 days after he's raised from the dead. He speaks to them there. You can see it in Acts. He talks to them about the rule of God, the kingdom of God. That's, that's one way to translate that. Speaking to the kingdom of God. And gather them together. Uh, here Jesus has been raised from the dead and he's taught them for 40 days about the kingdom. I think they've got it. I think they've figured it out some. And then he says, sick them. <laughs> what does he say? Wait. Why? Look what he says. Wait. For the promise of the Father, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. But I, I, I'm, he's speaking to them. He says, but don't leave Jerusalem. But wait for what the Father has promised. Remember, that's the first point. The promise. This has been promised throughout the Old Testament. This has been promised for all the centuries here. He says, you wait. Now, let me suggest a couple of things here to you. And, and we'll look at this. My, my judgment. You don't have to agree with it. But my reading of the New Testament, the Gospels, is this. That Jesus never fundamentally changed the disciples. Never did. They loved Him as best they could. They had affection for Him. They wanted to be with Him. But they weren't changed. You know, look at Luke twenty two, twenty four. 24, later. <laughs> Last night of his life, earthly ministry, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Com these guys have been with Jesus for three years. They've watched him. They've been with him. They've been with each other. And they're still fighting over who's going to be the greatest. Not much humility here. Later in the book of Luke, you can see where whenever Jesus gets to the garden, they fall asleep. He begs them, please, can't you just wait with me an hour? Couldn't you just pray with him? No, can't do that. Then when the guards come, they desert him. I, I, I just look at their lives and, 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 you know, I see a lot of me there. But I'm suggesting that Jesus never fundamentally changed them. And that's why I said, you got to wait. See, here's the... John Wesley makes this kind of observation. I think he's right. See, the cross is what God has done for us. The cross is what God has done for us. And I'm thankful. You know, oh boy. But again, I told you when I hear people pray and we say, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And I'm waiting. And a couple other things happened here. Where what Pentecost is, is what God has done in us. There's something He's done in us. His presence. The Holy Spirit's <clears throat> presence in our lives. This is why Jesus said, you got to wait. I've done something wonderful for you on the cross. We know that, we understand that. But there's something that's got to happen in you. Before you're ready. You, you know, you notice they run away when he gets arrested. And after Pentecost, they run in. They don't back off. They, 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 don't, they don't get away from the rulers. That chapter 5 we were looking at, they'd beaten them. They'd already said, now you better shut up and quit talking about this guy. And they're not saying, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. You know, kind of a nice way. They said, you killed him. <laughs> Go back and read that. You killed the prince of life. You stiff neck. You know, these guys were not nice, easy preachers, you know. They, they were willing to say the truth. And so after Pentecost, these guys are bold as a lion. What happened? How do you account for this? 
It's because of the priority, if you will, that Pentecost is what God has done in us. Something's changed. Something's happened. There's a presence now that has taken or come into the lives and the hearts of these followers of Jesus who had been cowards, who had been competitive, who had been constant in their disobedience. And now something's happened. These guys are willing to stand up. So this understanding that Jesus tells them to wait because he knows he has not fundamentally changed them. That's kind of a hard thing to hear, isn't it? It's sort of hard to hear because we think that Jesus changed them, but I'm going to suggest to you he didn't. Started it, made the means for it, the process. But it was the Holy Spirit who changed them, who, who completely empowered them for a living. So here, here's the question for, for you and I, for you and me, uh, for this standpoint. And I didn't write the application out this week. I was lucky to get here today. <laughs> I'm going to ask you this, though. Would you this week focus on not just what Jesus has done for you, but what Jesus has done in you? Would you be willing to refocus and say, you know what, this week, not, not forever, but this week, I'm going, to, I'm going to spend this week at some point each day refocusing, refocusing on remembering what Jesus did in me through the Holy Spirit, on Pentecost. You could do that in a couple of different ways. Uh, you could, as you begin your day, to focus, to begin the day by saying, I'm going to focus today on Jesus living in me through the power of the Holy Spirit. Or at the end of the day, I'm going to focus on being reminded again what the Holy Spirit did for me on this day. And then the third thing, and we'll, we'll do this, is rem remember a preparation. <clears throat> remember a preparation. This is a day to remember Remember, a promise, a priority, and a preparation. Now, uh, Pentecost, the very word we, we look at it, comes from the word that means 50 or 50 days. It's 50 days uh, after uh, Passover. And it was a feast that uh, 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 God had called the people uh, to be a part of. And it's, a, it, it's an interesting day in, in terms of preparation. I want to say that in the Old Testament, uh, this day, if you will, a Pentecost uh, celebrated two things, two basic things. You can find this in Leviticus 23. You can find this in Leviticus 23, that this day prepared the people for the actual day. And that's this. It, it celebrated the bringing in of the harvest. Uh, the priests did what they called a wave offering. Uh, you know, like we'll do in the thunder tomorrow night or something like that. Not that wave, it's a different wave. Uh, took two, two loaves of bread and waved them before God and thanked Him for this early harvest. There was an early harvest in about May and then another one in October. This was the early harvest. And would take those uh, loaves of bread and wave them before God and thank Him for the ingathering of God's provision of the ingathering of the harvest. What's interesting to me is now that Pentecost is being fulfilled, it was prepared by this, but now it's being fulfilled, that what's being ingathered now, if you look in Acts 2 there, what's being ingathered is not wheat, is not a harvest of wheat or bread, but what? A harvest of what? People. Yeah, notice there when it says this ingathering, all these people from all over, from Macedonia, from, uh, from uh, you know, it, just this huge Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Asia, uh, all of these uh, 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 Gideonites, Mesebabites, uh, uh, Mesquitabites, all of those uh, different <laughs> ones in there. I mean, just, they're just fascinating. Yeah. yeah you stand with me here. The ingathering now that Pentecost was preparation for was, if you will, the ingathering of the nations. Now, people from all around the world are there. And they hear the wonderful works of God. And they now go out to the uttermost ends of the earth and share the gospel here. But this is this idea of, of all this ingathering. What's fascinating to me, too, is the rabbis taught this about this day which I was off, is, is that Pentecost was also the celebration of the giving of the law, the giving of the Ten Commandments. They 
suggested that 50 days after they left Egypt, that by 50 days they had gotten to Sinai and God had given them the law. They accepted it. Like I said before, the Gentiles had been offered the law before they reject. That's at least in Jewish lore. We don't have any particular evidence for that. But they, take, they get the law given to them and they accept it. And in fact, the rabbis teach that what is it that makes Israel the people of God is their reception and acceptance of the law. They become the people of God when they come into accepting the law. And I want to suggest to you that this preparation is a preparation to say, what is it or what do we understand is the evidence of being the people of God now. It's not the law. It's the Spirit. What is it that signifies a person as now being part of the people of God? It's not ethnicity. It's not law-keeping. It's not having some uh, outward uh, experience of circumcision. It is, in fact, the coming of the Spirit. That this becomes now the preparation that what typifies the people of God now is that we're spirit people. We're, we're people who declare and talk about and discuss and live in the Spirit. That's what formulated us now to be the people of God. That's why this day is so important. It's not that we all doctrinally agree. It's not that we all read the same Bible. It's not that we all come from the same background or the same ethnicity, but we share in this gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes the church and the people of God the people of God. Could I get an amen on that one? <laughs> right? That's what brings us together. Not some law or rules or regulations, but this fascinating, exciting life of life in the Spirit. Now, Paul says something about that, as you might imagine. I want you to go to Ephesians, and we'll be done here. Ephesians 1. Ephesians chapter 1, about this idea that the Spirit is the evidence. The Spirit, is you, if you will, is the mark now of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is the idea. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 13. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Underline that word sealed. Who is given as a, and the antecedent to this pronoun, who is the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Paul is making this very statement here about the evidence of being the people of God. What is it? The Spirit. Notice here he says, you received the seal. Now, you know, uh, my mom uh, years ago uh, made uh, jelly and stuff like that, and she put it in these jars and they sealed them up. That's what I was hoping. My, my dad was always hoping that when I got saved, God would seal me up in a jar and leave me there. <laughs> you know? He said, you're more trouble, boy, than you're worth. But that's not the idea of seal here. The Greek term here for seal is, and you probably know this, but it's this. It's a mark that indicates authenticity. In the ancient world, whenever a letter would be sent or other things would be given, there was the seal. Sometimes, if you've seen old movies, you know, they'd pour some wax and melt it, and the signet ring would go down on that, and that seal indicated where that letter was from. Was it the emperor? Was it a procurator? Was it just some guy down the street? But the word seal here of the Holy Spirit suggests this is what indicates authenticity. What authenticates us is having this seal of the Holy Spirit. That's what authenticates a person, if you will, in this new matter. And then notice here when he says, and also who is given the Holy Spirit as a pledge. Pledge. The Greek word here doesn't mean just authenticity. It's translated in a couple different ways. Uh, for you ladies, it's, it's the term that sometimes was used for a lady uh, who took a, a piece of material uh, that she had and went and checked it against some curtains or something. You know, my wife, one time we went and bought a sofa, and she took what you call a swatch. Until I got married, I'd never heard of that word. A what? I've heard of switch, a swath, but not a swatch. 
It's a piece, a smaller piece of something bigger. Like she wanted to take this little cushion on this couch to see if it, look at it against, you know, the curtains here. And I'm, I'm all engaged. I'm okay. Look, fine. It's curtains. Let's go. Uh, right. But, but it's a, but it's a, a smaller piece of something larger. And, and Paul seems to be suggesting that our experience of the Holy Spirit now is not all there is. It's partial. As wonderful as it is and as we experience God's presence nowadays, it's partial. There's more to come. The, the other word, Araban, sometimes is used is engagement ring. Engagement ring. Had a young lady the other day in my classes come by and say, Hi. I said, Hey. I just wasn't going to give in. Hi. How's it going? Good, good. Hi. <laughs> Saying, you having a seizure? <laughs> you know, she wanted to show me this ring because that ring meant she was someday going to be the boss. <laughs> <clears throat> right? Isn't that right? That's right. She's going to be the boss. Uh, he didn't know that yet, but, uh, you know, she, yeah, that's right. We never know that. Uh, 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 she's saying this is given to me as a promise to say that someday there will be a fulfillment of this. We'll get married. Paul is saying, you know what? You bear the wedding ring, the spirit in your life. You, you, you bear the, the wedding ring or the, the engagement ring. You bear the engagement ring. That, that enables others to know, wait a minute, that's a follower of Jesus. There's something about them. There, there, there's the reality of the Spirit of God. It's not all of it. We, we don't experience all. Like a good friend of mine, Gerald Marvel, used to be a pastor. He'd say, you know, people would, would pray, oh God, give me all of your Holy Spirit. He said, you'd be like a 60-watt bulb at Hoover Dam. <laughs> Just like that. <clears throat> if God did that, right? He ain't stupid. It'd be... You'd just burn, you'd be vaporized. This is the idea. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. Do you know what? I, and I know there are people in this room who stand up and say this for a fact. Some of the things you've experienced, the power of the Holy Spirit, you think, man, if there's any more than that, I don't know if I can handle it. Right? I mean, if that's just the first installment, whoo! D.L. Moody tells the story how <clears throat> as he was praying and seeking God in his ministry, he came to the point that he knew he had a need. He began to pray that God's Holy Spirit would take control of his life. We're going to talk about that next week. Moody tells the story, great you know, pastor in <clears throat> Chicago back in the early part or the late part of the 20th, uh, 19th century, early part of the 20th. Moody says that <clears throat> he's walking down the street praying. And he says, as he had prayed for weeks and just began to, he was seeking God for more of what he believed was available as the promise of the Spirit. Moody says that as he prayed, God's Spirit began to move on to the extent that he cut back into an alley and he asked God to remove his hand. He said this, lest I die. Moody said it was a life-changing moment. To know that the power of the Spirit could be so strong that he felt like he would die. That, that, that notion of that mark, that, that engagement ring available to us. Here's what I ask you to do this week. I read, you know, Wesley makes this observation lots of times. I just think for me, I, and, and maybe for you, I don't know, this understanding of Pentecost. This understanding of the gift of the Holy Spirit. This understanding of the one who literally changed the lives of the disciples needs to be further in our understanding on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm going to ask you to focus this week. We're going to come back next week and talk about two really important things. And that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And what's our participation? What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? What's he there for to do? And what's our participation? How do we, we get involved in that?
But I want us to bow our heads and pray here just for a moment. This, this, uh, I always struggle when I teach on the Holy Spirit for a couple reasons. One is, this is just lots bigger than me. This isn't just some technique I've got or three steps to whatever. This really is opening our lives to the presence. So I'm going to just ask you as, you as we just bow our head just for a moment and you just open your heart to maybe even say, Lord Jesus, maybe I've failed to recognize the wonderful gift, the promise that you've kept for the person of the Holy Spirit to live in me. I'm going to ask some of you to quit trying harder and quit thinking it's all on you. I'm going to ask you to open your life as you understand it. No, no routine here. No, no, no prescribed idea. Take a long, deep breath and rest. I'm going to ask some of us that this week that we begin each day reminding ourselves and declaring the truth that I'm not going to walk out the door until I at least gather myself to say, Lord Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to live your life in me. And I'm going to trust you to do it. And in the moments, Lord, this week that we face, when that pressure starts mounting on the inside for us to do something and try something and fix something and control something, that you'll give us the good wisdom to pause, to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. What do I do? Quit trying to control, quit trying to manipulate, quit trying to make things happen and allow you to lead us. Help us this week, Lord Jesus. Help us this week, Holy Spirit, to be able to follow the small voice, the tender voice that comes to lead us. And we pray that we will, with renewed faith, realize this is a promise for me. This is a promise for me, for my life for my situation, for my circumstance. That Jesus might be glorified in my life. We pray this in your strong name. Amen.